3: Hello, how are you? That still tickles me, that music. So, welcome to part two of episode 115 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. So it turned out that part one of Jeffrey Harrison's podcast went down exactly how I thought it was. I've had plenty of love and positive comments about it. And a couple of good stories about people's interactions with the Samaritans. Which, if you haven't listened to um, part one of this episode yet... Jeffrey works behind the scenes at a Samaritan centre. And I will be giving the number out again at the end of this episode. I won't keep you too long, I go straight into part two. But what I will do for anyone that hasn't listened to the first part, I'll seamlessly edit in the little bit of info that I'd done at the start of part one. Although I strongly recommend you listening to that first because it was a cool cut. But anyway, after completing an undergraduate degree in fine art printing from the School of Art in Hull, He lived in Japan for several years. After returning to the UK to complete an MA in London, Geoffrey now lives and works in London where he was an artist in residence at Barts Pathology Museum at St Barts Hospital and recently completed a residency at the Royal Veterinary College. He has a studio in Bermondsey and exhibits in the UK and internationally. His practice is often collaborative and in partnership with other individuals, organisations, and institutions, teaching, facilitating workshops, presenting seminars and talks, and curating work by other artists. So, that out of the way, come and listen to the man himself, Jeffrey Harrison, as him and I had a great chat over Zoom. Well, none of my family and friends have ever been to a fucking gallery, you know, yeah. let alone into art. And when I said I wanted to do this fine art degree, people are going, oh, you could go into sign writing. Or you could be yes. a tattooist. Because yes. you know, yeah, yeah. as far as their yeah. mind can take them, you know. And I'm yeah, saying, that's... that doesn't interest me. In the sli- no disrespects to anyone who does that. no, fucking fine. But I want to go and I want to see my work up on a gallery wall. I want someone to stand in front of it. And people are going like, but you know, you won't earn from that. And I said, I don't care. I'm going to have a fucking happy life. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm fucking skint at the moment, but I'm fucking happy being in this world.
2: Yeah, that's a good. That's that's definitely a good way for people to be taught about art when they're at art school. Is I'm
3: happy to be one of the ninety-seven percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I might even have a jacket made up. You know, like the, the Hell's Angels have. but They have one percenter on it. Don't yeah, you? yeah. Ninety-seven percent.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the ninety art school ninety-seven <laughs> percent. Yeah, that's a good idea because what well, they should do instead of saying three percent of you are gonna make it they should say ninety seven percent of you are gonna be happy because you're gonna be making art for your own can write that down that's good (laughs) people probably say this to you a lot you know when they find out that you're an artist one of the things that people say is oh I can't draw and you think yeah okay yeah fine maybe maybe that's how you feel about it and I'm not gonna try and change your mind about things but drawing's not like a mystical like thing that you you know the
3: bloke who taught me he showed me about I think I got it on about the fourth way he showed me how to draw. Third or fourth, I went, fucking hell, that's it. It's all size and proportion, but he said it was all to do with maths. And I was like, of course. So turned away from being a skill to being a sort of mathematical sort of, you know, if this is, if this part of your eye is four centimetres, the gap is four centimetres. And then I saw each bit as an object rather than a person's face, how it connected with me.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you talk about maths because it's another thing that people say when they, you know, when so my brother's a mathematician. Um, oh, I'm shit and at maths. I, yeah, well, that's what people I'm say, I'm shit at maths. And it's like, well, I, I question both of those responses. Like, I can't draw, or I'm shit at drawing or I'm shit at maths. Because they, they may be true and they may be, you know, beliefs held with, you know, good reason. But actually, usually it's because of the way that They've experienced those things to that point. Like most people draw when they're kids without any kind of judgment. All they want to do is like draw that. My, my son draws um, Pokemon all the time Brilliant. And, and dragons. And all he wants to do is just get it on paper. He wants to see the thing that he's thinking about. And I love that. And he doesn't, he, he, he gets me cross sometimes when it's not coming out right. And so he screws it up and he might start again and sort of of hands off on on that sort of thing because, you know, I don't want to give him a kind of complex. But a lot, everybody, I think everybody starts off drawing like that when they're a kid. They just want to get it out. They they love the idea that they've taken something from inside their head and put it onto a page and it It looks a bit like that thing. But actually, as you get older and your worldview becomes more grown up you start to demand more from your visual world. And so you start to demand more from the drawings you do. And when they fall short, which of course they will, if you're not keeping up your drawing, then you'll just look at the drawings you're doing and you think, well, they're no good. That's a bit shit. Yeah. And so what you find is that most people say they're shit at drawing because they haven't drawn since they were like 10 at school. Yeah. And of course their drawings are like those of a 10 year old, of course, yeah. because... you don't use it that's you you sort of stay at that level and the only reason why people are bad at drawing is because they might not enjoy it because they have an association with it not being good or they just simply don't do it and I teach people drawing when I teach them I say look you know it's like it's like um playing football or or anything that you 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 in those spheres you you accept that you have to spend quite a lot of time getting good at it and at least playing football or running 100 meters you know you know that those guys spend hours and hours and hours a day in training and practice and theory and all that kind of stuff to get good well of course it's the same for you know drawing a picture uh, but the more you do those things the better you, you get yeah and and, and like you found, like there are certain techniques that you can use to just unlock it a little bit and make you realize something new about how you can do it, and they mean that you just carry on and on and on. So I I I don't accept that there's people who are good at it and there's people who are bad at it. I just think there's people who do it and people yeah. who don't. I think sometimes you might you might need something which isn't about a skill in your hand or anything like that. It might be about uh, an ability in your eye to see what's not quite right so you know Instagram's a great place for looking at other people's art and yeah. people are you know uh, people that follow me i always go and have a look at their work you know if anybody follows me on, on instagram i always go and have a look and see what they're doing and um and sometimes really interesting because you can see sometimes what you see is that this person is trying really hard because they've got tons of work you know you look through hundreds and hundreds of images that they've got on their things so they're obviously doing a lot of it What they may not have is a kind of um, uh, a a critical eye, which sometimes that can be really um, disabling. I think you know, inhibiting to be very overcritical about your own work. But sometimes, in order to get better, you have to be able to look at it quite dispassionately and critically and say, "This isn't good," or, like you said before, have somebody else tell you, you know, honestly, what is good and what is not good, because. If you can't make those value judgments about the thing that you're doing, it's very hard to improve, yeah. um, and, and and to know where where you are going wrong because other people do know that, right. you know. And if you perhaps I don't know if you wanted to win a competition or enter a, you know, enter the, you know, something drawing prize or you know to get on somehow and develop in your. Thing and be successful in Invercoms, whatever that might mean to you. You need to improve yeah. always, and if you can't see where the opportunities for, opportunities for improvement are, i.e., the bits that you're a bit shit at, um, then you're not really going to make it there yeah. to those aspirations. So you kind of have to be good at being able to receive criticism and also to uh, digest it properly and, and recognize where it's going wrong because you're only going to be, you're only going to make art as good as your inner critic will allow. I agree, I agree. Yeah it's funny isn't it, um, getting, seeing through P- PR is a really tricky thing isn't it for art because you kind of want the art to do the PR for itself, you know especially if you're doing visual art, you know you kind of want your stuff to, to sort of stick out. Well a mate of mine was saying to me yesterday, she said do you know, I, when I go in galleries, I'm not really a very visual person. I don't really like looking at pictures in galleries. But what I do like doing is reading the blurb at the side. Nice. And like, I like those stories. So she likes the the stories. So for her, she would need a bit of PR in terms of a bit of explanation. This is what this person's work is about. And then she might go, okay, yeah, I get the picture now. Um, but when because some PRs particularly on things like Instagram it's really funny like you know you can pay for stuff can't you on on Instagram you can pay for ads and you can and some people like within Instagram message I get these messages saying hey do you want to be featured on my art page all you got to do is send me like five dollars or something and I'll I'll put you on that I never ever want to do anything like that because just, just wouldn't feel right but like some people pay Instagram, don't they, for a promotion? It
3: never fucking works. It hasn't worked for me. Hasn't it? No.
2: I've never tried it. A few of my mates have, have tried it and uh, I don't know what their results have been like. I haven't really asked them. But like, that's one way of doing it. But often the ones that I get, you know, that say, it says sponsored underneath or something, doesn't oh, it? Sponsored thing. Because I look at my feed and I go, oh, that's um, interesting because that's nothing to do with what I normally would see. So, I always wonder about social media because, like, for art, because I found Instagram really helpful for me within Instagram. And it has got me some work. You know, people have contacted me and said, Can you do this kind of commission? Can you do this kind of thing? So, brilliant. I've got some work from it. But actually, you know, when when you die, they're not going to put on your gravestone, had 10,000 followers. (laughs)
3: Yeah, or Please like, like this tomb.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, or, yeah, and stuff like that. So you know, those. Not that I do my artwork for that kind of legacy, but you've got to remember that, like, Instagram. It, it doesn't. It actually doesn't matter how many followers you, you've got. It's a sort of a metric that measures a kind of a nothing. And like, if if Instagram or Facebook or all these things were suddenly out of our lives. What do you have left? Unfortunately for me, I still have all my paintings yeah. and I still have a purpose for making them. And there is a, a place out there where you can show them, but it's a tricky place. You know, it's galleries and things like that. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I don't have a gallery. I don't have a gallerist. Um, I don't have any of those kind of relationships. So I, I think it I, I think it's really hard for young If Not necessarily young, but people starting new, you know, doing art. I still think of myself as actually starting quite new, which sounds a bit silly because I actually made a decision to become an artist when I was about 33, 34. I was always painting and I had things in some exhibitions and stuff, but I never decided to become an artist until um, my girlfriend at the time and my wife. Um, said you need to start calling yourself an artist because you could do this you know you could get into this world um, but that was like only 10 or so years ago yeah so I kind of feel like I've only been an artist for about 10 years and a portraitist for about seven or eight years I think Something like that. I did my first portrait in 2013 I think
3: nice well saying that similar sort of thing I was struggling with and you may have heard me speak about this, I've mentioned it so many times on here, I was struggling with the two lives that I had. I had my old life as criminal, you know, non-artist, and then the new life as an artist. And for several years, I was dragging both of these lives around with me, and it was really difficult for me. And then just at one point, I just made decided to separate the two by giving the old life a name, and that name was Roy Maynard, which is a name that I used to sort of give the police or book into an hotel with. That was my dodgy name in yeah. my old life, Roy Maynard, because I'm a different person now to what I was years ago. So I've got even though I've got a different personality as such, you know. I'm, I'm yeah. definitely a different yeah. person. So he is a different person, and he has got a name. And then there's obviously the new Gary Mansfield, who's the sort of arty. Non criminal, non violent, you know, that person. So then I separated them. And it was as, as soon as I come to terms with that, which maybe took a week or so, a couple of weeks, oh. fucking hell, the pressure that it relieved by just separating these two bits of my life yeah, it was amazing. And if I've had someone years ago who knew about the mind, you know, some, a psychologist or, or someone like that, just said, like, do that. You know, if, if, if I knew that it was a thing that you could do, how easy it was. It, it just helped me so much. It's like we excuse children for the things they've done. When they get to 18, all of a sudden you're accountable. That's what I do. I was a child up until I was like fucking 28. I was a different person. I had a different mindset. That weren't me. N- now I'm not that. So I don't sort of, because uh, I was like, worrying about apologising for things I've done years ago. Yeah. And a lot of bad shit, and I was carrying that around me, and I was like, well, "I was a criminal. I'd done crime. <laughs> you know, that was that was the job description. I'm yeah. not doing that job anymore." You know?
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I was uh, think about. Do you ever watch My Name Is Earl? When I first sort of saw that, I thought about the kind of catharsis that that guy was going through. He's basically written down all the people he'd wronged, he? uh, and he, yeah, I remember he, that. He got a load I of money somehow he won some kind of lottery or something and he decided that what he was going to do with the money was to make a list of all the people he'd hurt or wronged in his life and go back and make it up to them and it was about how that basically just is okay, funny yeah yeah and it doesn't work and I, I i thought that was a really interesting um way of dealing with your past or one's past is to is to there's a, a kind of a sense that you kind of want to make amends for it, and um, but that's quite self serving, isn't it? Sometimes yeah. because everybody's what you end up moved on. All yeah, everybody has moved on. In that
3: situation has moved on. They're either yeah. carrying it, or most of the time they've forgotten it and think you're an it.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the only person it fixes is your conscience about like because I've done this. You know, I've got in my head all the thi- I, I even wrote down all the things. That make me cringe about the life and the things I've done in my life, and most of them are things to do with things I've said to girls or stuff like that, you know, in order to, you know, whatever or, or you know, silly things I've done to appear like a, you know, funny guy or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: The things
2: um,
3: aren't you because I've found the the things that make us cringe are when we step too far beyond the boundary of our personality. Yeah, I mean. We were talking about PR just now. At one point when I was going to exhibitions and I'd work, someone went to me, look, just try, just do this, be a bit more self assertive, be a lot more forward and be, you know, and I, I tried that and it, it worked all right to that person. But all, every word I was saying, I was cringing and I'm making up the words and I, it just weren't me and it, it didn't fucking work. It might have worked to that no. person, but half a dozen people would have gone
2: fucking hell.
3: <laughs> you know I mean? it wasn't me i wasn't being truthful
2: yeah i mean things like that they, you you always feel inauthentic don't you because it's not it's not you're not being yourself so I, I quite like that the things that make you cringe are the things that as you said the things that you do that are outside yourself but i still think though sometimes it's important to step outside of because you develop that don't you? you become but as long as you're not going like <laughs> as long as you're not making an arse of yourself. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well,
3: sometimes you know you can that stepping stone could be in the right direction.
1: Yeah,
3: but, you know it's like a clock. Twelve o'clock is the right direction, and there's another eleven that are a wrong direction. You're stepping yeah, in yeah. those, and
1: yeah, that's
2: yeah. yeah, yeah. I never thought about, but it was quite a good experience for me. I didn't have to. I did. I certainly didn't feel like I needed to go and apologise to all the people. I'd like offended or whatever like, you in know, I my I've got
3: enough time left in my life to go and apologise to people that I've wronged yeah. in the past.
1: Yeah, and
2: yeah, and and again, like he's saying before, like they don't care, and it won't help them for for you to say you're sorry. The only person that helps is is you know is, is you. So you got to just let that stuff go. Yeah, and and, and the...
3: worst right, ways if they think you're an arse, and then they find out that you've changed, they go, "Oh, fucking ain't the arse? So I thought he was. Win-win, isn't it?" <laughs>
1: you know yeah, yeah. if there were yeah. you
3: and five other artists jeff past and present what would your ideal group show be
2: i love this question i like this one it's it's a good because this is it's, it's a bit like you know who inspires you or, or whatever yeah. if, so and i've listened to some of the people who've answered this and i thought yeah was it one person was it matt collish said um it would have to be five people who i didn't think were as good as yeah. me Brilliant. that my work looked better. Yeah. Uh, quite...
3: <laughs> a good honest answer.
2: Yeah, I thought that was pretty honest. I think that, I don't know, I did think i have thought about this one a, a lot ahead and it's an opportunity for me to go, mm, these are my influences <laughs> and yeah. uh, these are people who I align my work with. Actually, what I'd be interested in and what I'm always interested in showing with other artists is having a private view. I love a private view. Yeah. I love like um, the the formal version of this you know where there's a gallery there's a load of wine that's free yeah. and you get to just chat to people and get drunk and and i, I like that so it would be more about who do i want to hang out with at a private view and so and and get under their skin a bit and find out a bit more about their practice and you know what makes them tick and things like that um, so there's a list of about 100 people of <laughs> course
3: Um, And it's going to change
2: if I ask you tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. So like, but there'd be people like um, Holbein, he's a great one, um, because I kind of want to understand about his process. So if I could find out about not just his painting, because his painting's obviously um, very good, but, um, but his drawing, I'm really interested in his drawing, which is, I don't know if you've ever looked quite closely at them, they're so... They're usually done using a kind of a chalky kind of um, thing, but they're so precise and controlled, but but beautiful. The, the lines are just beautiful. And I, I just want to know whether it's all practice or whether he's using some sort of visual aid, because I think there's a, there's a lot of optical development around that time when he could have been using something. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think that lots of people like to, Believe that those kind of things weren't being used in those days. So I kind of want to know about whether he was using some kind of um, almost like a what do you call it, like a camera obscura yeah. or something like that, a scribing technique, because that actually doesn't take away from the fact that his drawings are just gorgeous, yeah. beautiful, and so minimal and, and masterful. So somebody like that. My mum actually put me on to when I was really young, I remember showing me paintings um, that she liked. And um, at the time she was into Piero della Francesca, Mm. um, who is an Italian Renaissance painter, did lots of frescoes. He's got some paintings in the National Gallery and one of, um, I think it's Saint Michael with, um, with a serpent that he's standing on. And his paintings are just beautiful. And I think it was my mum talking about his work just aligned my eye to a kind of a beauty in painting and proportion and and just a kind of um yeah beauty because he's painted this this very beautiful man wearing armor and holding a sword and standing on a serpent that represents satan and 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 whenever i go and look at this i look at this every time i go into the national gallery um if it's up and um and it, it never ceases to give me interest. Yeah. Um, so I love his, his composition and um, Paolo Uccello as well. Um, so that's going quite far back, isn't it? I probably want my mum there because um, my mum is a brilliant painter nice. and um, she, uh, her, she's entering a whole new way of work at the moment. It's all connected to her previous work. Um, but she's been introduced to Instagram as well um, now. Which is a sort of a double-edged sword because
3: um,
2: <laughs> you know she's it's been brilliant for her work and I love to see what inspiration she's taking from it and how much it's propelled her for. for is she on there a lot, but she's on there quite a lot, yeah. And she Mom, um, put
3: your phone down and eat your dinner. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, she she's in, she's doing what mums do, which is to kind of troll their children <laughs> on on Instagram without really realizing that's what she's doing. <laughs> she's always like commenting on my work. She's always commenting on other people's comments about my work as well, and I'm like, "Oh, mum."
3: <laughs>
2: so, we've had words about that. Um, so she'd be there. Um, somebody whose work I really, really love, um, but everyone really, really loves her work is um, Jenny Saville,
1: Brilliant.
2: who's uh, she's a fantastic painter, and but not just the, the her treatment of paint you know, on a on a canvas, but um her I know approach to the human body and her own body and her no holds barred, this is flesh, this is humanity, and this is a big piece of canvas with a load of wet paint applied to it that coalesces into a way that yeah. makes this statement and form I think it's fantastic. How many more have I got? Have I got one more? Or have You've I got, got one more? more. But talking about Jenny Savile
3: Sav- Sav- there, you, you get that sense. She does a little something with her visual language that is so inclusive. You know, I mean, it's it's mainly women that she paints, but yeah. I feel a part of her work all the time. Yeah, yeah. I have done ever since ever since I first saw it. It's, it is as if she's talking about humanity rather than just that woman in the painting.
2: Yeah, yeah yeah i know i think so and what i like about it is that everything goes on in that painting in a very um not unselfconscious way but you know what i really hate and it's not in her work in the way that i hate it in other people's work is where you see a dribble and you know that that's been put there <laughs>
3: yeah. you
2: know and I look at it and go like that wasn't a dribble that happened because you were making that mark over there and you just can't be asked to get rid of it. That's a dribble that you've put there or a smudge that you've put there because I don't know it gives you, gives your work what you see in other people's yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. But when it's in her work, it's because it's part of the energy and the process of building up the like painting. The freedom of the brush. Um, so there's no kind of contrivance in yeah. her work, except for the fact that, and she has a, a way of putting down paint with a with the mark on her brush that is, and it's just something always very tactile and masterly about it. Anyway, so I, I think her, her paintings fab.
3: And the last um, one,
2: well, I suppose out of deference to to you, Gary, I should probably put in somebody who's um, not just a figurative painter. I should um, so I put in somebody like. Um, I'm, people might be surprised that I choose somebody like. Um, Damien Hurst, who, um, who's a, he's such a a, a, a figure on the art scene. You know, if you think about YBA or you think about British artists now, and there's lots of people you might think about, Bacon, Albac, you know, uh, Freud, all those kinds of people, um, or Tracy Emin or any of those whose work I actually like more than his. Yeah. But there was one bit of work that I saw of his. Um, and it was a, a tape show somewhere. It might have been in New York though, so it wouldn't have been at the tape. Anyway, it was the one where he's got um, he's got a cow's head in a, in a glass vitrine. And then in another vitrine he's got uh, next to it with a hole between them. He's got like an electrical yeah, thing, yeah, a, a electric bug zapper. Noise. Whether it's in the same one, I can't remember. I remember looking at it and not really liking his work before. Thinking, oh yeah, shark in a tank, yeah, blah blah blah. But actually, when you when you actually engage with some of his work, like I did that first time, and his it was an old piece by then. This was not that long ago, yeah. and I I saw it was called what was it, a thousand years or something like that, and I was really really impressed. I I'm just blown away by the the poetry and the, the simplicity of life, wasn't it? Of this complete circle, yeah. Because
3: there was of like, sugar in there as well, wasn't there? For yeah. the flies to feed on. And-
2: Flies were fucking laying eggs. Maggots coming. Like fly would fly up and zap on the, on the thing. It was just beautiful, this it was, just it was, it was cycle of doing this stuff. I just thought that is beautiful. And the other thing I thought that was really beautiful was his um, use of a cigarette as a life, you know, as a sort of a cigarette in an ashtray and each cigarette kind of represented a life lived was it and uh, a that you in Well there, he did loads of them actually. He did a huge ashtray. Um, but some of them were just, I think one of them was just a single cigarette. Oh, great, yeah. Um, and some of them were photos, I think, as well. Um, but I just loved that that picking of one little object, that very personal object, like a cigarette, because you put it in your mouth, and there's something about yeah. mouths that are more personal than almost anything else. And you put it in your mouth and you Draw on it, and everybody knows that it's bad for your health, and it reduces your life by you know minutes and things. But it's also about enjoyment, isn't it? Because yeah. people smoke because they like it, you know, and it, it it's something that you do, and and so for me, that cigarette representing a human life, I thought was really really good. I thought I was really yeah. really c- clever and and simple and quite beautiful, and so I would like. Uh, you know, I'd like him to be there so that I could um, hear more about that stuff.
3: Jeff, if you wasn't an artist, what would you like to be?
2: Uh, I, I'm already other things, um, So, and I kind of think that if I, if I wasn't working, you know, in the charity sector, I'd want to be an artist. <laughs> Do you know, and I could it. It'd be horrible to think that I had to give up being an artist because I do that alongside everything else I do. So even if I gave up working in at Samaritans and went to work in, um, I don't know, catering or retail or banking or whatever, I'd like to think that I would still be doing art. Yeah. So getting rid of the art bit and what I would replace that with in my life. I don't know, I could probably have a hobby then, because I, I, I don't know what it would be, though. Um, I don't know, maybe I maybe sciencey stuff. I was always a bit of a duffer at school. I don't think I've ever been especially dim, but I've always been especially lazy. And um, I think that if there was the, the one thing that I really like reading about these days... And like I said before, reading for me means listening to audiobooks. books. Yeah. Um, but if uh, if I was going to be doing reading these days, I quite like um, popular science, so I might might be interested in that. But, See, it's uh, funny
3: because people who have, who have had art in their life, all of their life, they're the ones who don't know how to answer this question. Yeah, the people that have discovered <laughs> art, they go, "I'd like to be a butcher." You know, I'd, I'd like to be a yeah a, a, a designer. They, they sort of, they've always got something else that they've always wanted to do. It just uh, happens art was one of those. Yeah. Whereas so people like yourself have, have always grown up with art. They, because it's always been there, you know, they, yeah. they yeah. don't know what to um
2: Yeah, it's, that's funny, isn't it? Yeah, no, I can see how that might be. I tell you what, though, you know, if, if, if I ever was able to um, uh, earn a living doing the art, exclusively which is, which is just something i want to do you know, I, you know I but I, I mean i enjoy working and getting the stability from work and i think there's a lot of good artists um yourself included who who do art and will always do it now um but also do other things you know yeah. And there's no sort of shame in that and it's not a measure of success that you you know you do no, another job i mean it a is a great job. thing sorry that
3: sort of thing doesn't even enter my mind. I mean, I only, only started yeah. working 18 months ago myself to, to yeah. make this this leap. And, you know, it was a leap into the dark and, you know, I've still not found a light yet.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Still <Stop> falling. <laughs> yes. um, but, I mean, it's, it's great when, you know, when I do meet artists who are doing it full time because that's quite inspiring and, and uh, the life that they have is, you know, is, is quite interesting with, with their art being at the very centre of it rather than being Something which you're drawing towards the centre of it as close as you can get it. Um, I mean, the the idea of being a full time artist is is a kind of mystery to lots of people, and I think even for artists who are not it to think about doing it, you probably find that you spend more time not painting or whatever it is your practice is, and more time doing your talking to your accountant or. Um, you know doing the pr bit or you know dealing with your existential angst that comes along yeah. with not having a another thing going on but um, if I were if I were I think a full-time artist one of the things I think I would quite like to do would be to um, and I don't know why I think this because I think I'd be dreadful at this is to be a, it's to be an actor to perform somehow I don't think I can sing very well I can't play any musical instruments so i don't know why i think performing would be for me but (laughs) i i I just like the idea of inhabiting other people or other
3: a a, a different persona
2: yeah a different persona so even I, i don't mean like an actor on telly or or in um in movies i don't mean that kind of glamour or the hollywood bit i mean like like on stage or or I could do what I used to do, which when I was at art school, I used to get the train back to um, back home. I always used to pretend that I was somebody else that I was travelling for business or something.
3: I've done it and then, so many times.
2: Like yes. I used to, because I didn't want to. But because you know when you you're on the train somewhere, you, you end up talking to people. Or I do anyway. Um, and I kind of um, wouldn't like to tell them that I was at art school, not because I was ashamed of it, but because we'd always have the same conversations about uh, painting or whatever, you know, and I just didn't want to have that. So I used to say that I was, I was, um, I was, I was just working and I would invent something about sales or something. Yes. Um, and often I uh, think one time I even got a suit from um, a charity shop and wore a suit on the way home because I thought that that would make me appear to be somebody else. <laughs> so. but
3: in, yeah. It, but in the truth of it, you're the only one who saw the suit. Everyone I know everyone's
2: like I'm just anonymous. There's yeah, I'm and they probably sure. looked at my shoes and went, "Look at that! Look at that art school kid wearing suit, thinking he's being somebody else." We
3: used to do a bit of minding years ago for like comedians and actors and that sort of thing, and it'd be just me and me mate. them, and um a lot of the time would be waiting for them while they're on stage or, or on set. We'd be floating about somewhere just as we was like starting to have this conversation and it could have been with a you know a guy just sitting there as well just having a chat dan would say to me um you're a plumber or and i'd go oh you're a soldier and then uh, we uh, would just and i go oh, yes that's me mate dan he's you know he's in the, the war and marines and yeah, me, it's- yeah he's my mate Gary. He's a plumber we wouldn't say it like that but we'd we'd know what each other's role was and then we'd just start talking and and like gradually we'd sort of make it a bit more ridiculous every you know every yeah. moment you know and um just just for a laugh but we would do that for years and and when I said to someone that I, I, oh I can't act and they go fuck off that's how I met you you know you told me you was a yeah. fucking cameraman or something yeah like yeah yeah and um but yeah then there's me saying I can't act and and you do those sort of roles throughout your life just messing about
2: yeah, I mean, we, we're, it, you know, now this is a, you know, what you're saying now and what, who you're being now and who I'm being now. I mean, they're they're only versions of ourselves, aren't they? Course, they're not. Yeah. You wouldn't have this conversation in this way with the same sort of brain, what you know, sparks that are, you know going off when you're thinking about stuff with somebody else because it just wouldn't be that same conversation. Yeah. So you're just a different person all the funnily time. Enough,
3: and funny enough, I've taken people into jails before. Um, when I'm giving like a talk or something, and I do say to them just beforehand, I say, I'm going to be talking a little bit different when I get in there because although I've disconnected myself from my past, to yeah. talk to these people, I've got to go back a bit closer to my past, throw on a bit of a goblimey, you know, that's yeah. that sort of thing. Have you got anything coming up, Jeff? I know it's a bit weird in these moments we're in at, at, at present, but have
1: you got anything? Yeah. Coming
2: up? <laughs> Mm, well, I uh so I'm obviously doing all this stuff on, on Instagram, so I'm nearly finished with this um Baldi Beardo's um project. Um and I'm not quite sure what I'm gonna do with that. You know, talking about you know having them as a big sort of thing and I wanna exhibit them or show them somewhere. I was thinking about getting them all into a kind of a book. I thought that'd be quite a nice way of, of doing that, but I also want to show them. Um so I've got that. I've also got that is just going to continue. I'm just going to keep doing that. I'll never stop doing that I think I'm always painting I'm working I'm just finishing up self-portrait at the moment, uh, which is the one with the, the duct tape in it um, and i've got I've got one I've got one painting a um, self-portrait of me looking really sad, which is in um, I've got into the Royal Society of Portrait Painters no, awesome. annual exhibition so that's I'm really pleased about that. Uh, it's a, it's a very trad group. I mean, you can't get a much more like um, traditional group of painters, can you? <laughs> the Royal Society of Portrait Painters yeah. of Great Britain, and it does sound a bit stuffy. But I mean, there's some brilliant painters actually in in the RP, as it's called. Um, really, really good painters who I admire hugely. Um, it's not what you'd call um, contemporary. Well, actually, some people would call it contemporary fine art, but it it's not very aligned with the kind of stuff that we're talking about, you know, like Jenny Savile or yeah. you know, conceptual art or anything like that. But it is usually like every year kind of a showcase of some of the best sort of figurative painting, not just in Britain. I think they take um, uh, submissions from overseas, but mostly it's in Britain because of the practicality of it. And I've never been able to get in before, uh, and this is the first time I've got in. So for me, it's very, you know, same we were saying before about being validated. Yeah, you know, for so. me, that's quite validating. Even though it's a show that's it doesn't have a lot of room for the conceptual or the the sort of art school fine art thing, which I'm still aligned with. It is a very rigorous selection process, and means that I'm super stoked to to have got selected for it. Not that's really- so.
3: And rightly so. Where can people see your work, be it social media or website?
2: Yeah, I've got um, got my social media, got all my social medias. Um, I don't do the TikToks, but I do. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I do. I <laughs> Imagine on TikTok. I don't know what I do on TikTok. But I am on Instagram um, with my name, Jeffrey Harrison. That's it. I think you can find me from that. I've got two websites. Um, so I've got jeffreyharrisonportraits.co.uk. That's my, I don't want to call it, maybe my commercial art platform. So people can commission me there and they can look at all the portraits and they can look at drawings. There's a load of stuff in there and some still lifey kind of stuff as well. And then I started off actually with a different website, which is just jeffreyharrison.co.uk, so without the portraits bit at the end. Um, And that has got a bit more of the work that I was doing before I really shifted my focus towards portraits there's some portraits on there but there's some other stuff that i was doing which was about um where i used to focus on the which we haven't talked about here there's there's not ever enough space to talk about this kind of stuff but it's the collision point between art and science Uh, i've quite i still am interested in how science informs art and art informs science and so i was doing quite a lot of um collaborative work and had done a couple of residencies that were uh, one at the pathology museum at St Bart's Hospital um, where they've got loads of stuff in jars and I was really interested in anatomy and ideas about the body and um, and uh, parts of the body and wholeness. Um, Which is
3: where he's got his idea from for...
2: Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think um there's there's quite a few artists who I quite liked at the time who were who were doing stuff to do with body and body not in a macabre way, but you know, maybe in a slightly dark way, but still in a beautiful way. I think it was about beauty. And then after that I did a residency at the Royal Veterinary College, um, where obviously so they were talking about animal science or veterinary science and veterinary medicine but also I found that the work that they were doing there was it was about people you know because people have pets (laughs) and people have livestock and by treating pets and livestock they were really dealing with people and I was really interested in how humans fitted into the 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 work of um, the RBC. So you'll see more of that sort of work on my other website. At some point I've got to <laughs> collide those two things and and make the art, you know, but yeah. You
3: know. Well it's only a it's only a project away, isn't it? Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. Yeah.
3: And if we can just bring it round, a full circle to the start of this conversation. Oh yeah. Um, and just end on just talking about your your day job as it were with the Samaritans. The moment we're in at present you know there's mental health as, as sort of um people are experiencing it a bit more than ever um, yeah be it loneliness and you know, people's lives have taken a change and you know they're more or less not in control of their lives at the moment
2: that's um, right yeah.
3: if anyone thinks that they might want to talk to someone how are they able to to go about it
2: well um Samaritans is available for for everybody to to contact um, you can call it um, for free on one one six one two three and that's free um, they can call anytime it's 24/7 um, also it doesn't show up on people's phone bills that that number it's just so it, oh, it becomes sort of anonymized and uh, and people can also email but the best the best way of finding out about um, the work of Samaritans and also about finding out about being a volunteer and what you can do to support and donate. Um, You can just go to the website, which is um, www.samaritans.org.uk is is where they need to go. But if they just typed in Samaritans into Google, they'd find it, right? Um,
3: Well, Jeff, that's all my questions asked. Thank you very much for the time. I've loved this conversation. And, yeah, all the best with whatever comes after Beardy Beardo.
2: Cheers, Gary. Thanks very much. And if you ever consider letting that beard grow out and shaving off all the hair on top. Yeah, you can piss off, really. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, mate. All the best. Cheers, Gary. Take care, mate.
3: Right, this isn't quite the end of the podcast. I mean, we did actually finish and say goodbye, but we carried on talking for about a quarter of an hour or so after the podcast had finished, and luckily I still had recalled on. And Jeff mentioned how he saw Maggie Hambling in a gallery. He had an interaction with her, and it didn't quite go as well as he hoped. Have a listen for yourself.
2: Do you know Maggie Hambling? You must know Maggie Hambling. Yeah, well, I've done one um, with her. I'm here. Oh, have you done one with her? Yeah. She's quite frightening, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was at the British Museum about five, five years ago and I was um, wandering around and there was a Banky Hamley exhibition on there. And I can't remember why they had an exhibition of her stuff in the British Museum, but it was up at the top somewhere. And there was a little group walking around and I was like, oh, that's, that's Annika Rice in that group, isn't it? So I sort of tailed the group thinking there might be something interesting happening here. And, um, and actually it wasn't anything uh, interesting about the group. It was just that Annika Rice oddly happened to be in this group that was being toured around well, the person doing the tour was Maggie Hamlet yeah. and she was showing all these people her own work you know and she was pointing at things and and blah, blah blah and it seemed like I think that all the people going around in the group were art students. If I could just interrupt Maggie
3: runs a master class every Thursday morning and uh, Annika's been doing it for like 10 years or something
2: uh, so
3: that's what it could well have been.
2: Ah uh, right because at some point they stopped and they were looking at stuff and then there were some questions from the, her group to her. I found myself standing at the front of this group. You know, when you find yourself in a place <laughs> by accident. I just thought this was like a group. So I just sort of, sort of yeah, stood yeah. there and I was listening in. I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And a question occurred to me and I, I normally hate myself for asking questions, you know, in those things. And so has anybody else got any more questions? And I found my hand going up. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and I asked her a question about something to do with her printmaking because I'd done printmaking at university and she was like she was quite dismissive I said I don't know like like this like it's a stupid question it wasn't a stupid question but you know she found it a stupid question and then she was like and who are you anyway (laughs) I was like uh well my name's Jeff and I'm just sort of looking around the exhibition and she she just gave me this really She didn't need to say anything. She just gave me this most withering look. And I thought, oh, I'm in the wrong place. I am really in the wrong place
3: here. There you go. Jeffrey Harrison. How bloody cool was that? I bet it made you wish you could join in the conversation, didn't it? In the podcast there, Jeff and I were messing about about the 97 percenters. And 97 percenter being the little statistic that some negative tutors throw at the students they say that only 3% of all art students go on to make a living in art. So messing around, Jeff and I flipped it about and said what they should be saying is 97% of you are going to have an absolutely fantastic life after accepting art into your world. So we joked how the illegal motorbike gangs refer to themselves as one percenters because it was once stated that 99% of bikers are good people and with a little bit of irony, the remainder referred to themselves as the one percenters. And they have a little badge saying so. So if you went to art school, but you never pursued that as a career, or you're not yet at the stage you'd like to be, or fucking hell, even if you've made it, but believe that art isn't all about the money, be positive and embrace the 97%. So the Ministry of Arts has wasted no time and made some 97% badges up. If you'd like one, they're only £3.50, including postage, and all of the money will go back in to support the Ministry of Arts podcast everyone's a winner, right? Oh, and also, I know Jeff has only just mentioned it at the end of the podcast there, but if you're going through a little something at the moment and you don't give the Samaritans a bell, there's a little bit of disconnect there and it's always easier talking to a stranger, you know, and, and on top of that, they know how to deal with that burden once you've put it on them. Give them a bell if you feel you need to. 116 123 and the number doesn't come up on your bill. And if you don't want to talk to them, talk to someone. Like I say every week, on whichever platform you listen to this podcast, you should be able to leave a comment. If you could do that, that really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast. If you've got any queries, drop us a line on social media, at ministryofarts.org. If you're enjoying these episodes, spread the word of the Ministry of Arts podcast. If you're not, well, fuck you, you won't be listening to this bit anyway. And those of you that are, thanks for listening. And until next week, ta-da.